The Daily Tap is live for Wednesday. We have a good show today. We are going to lead off with the Brewers, which we haven't done in a while. Why their September is not a cause for concern. We're going to also talk about Brett Favre and his return to Lambeau, how that compares with what we're going through this week in the media landscape with Tom Brady headed back to New England, which is the topic right now across sports. Um, I think the NBA is like, can you talk about Tom Brady more so you avoid all the anti-vaccine stuff that's going on in our league? We'd appreciate it. Thanks. Lastly, we will talk about the Green Bay Packers offense against that Steelers defense, why it's really similar game plan to what they did against San Francisco, assuming Elton Jenkins can't play. So we'll talk about all that today. And then tomorrow, tapping the keg, Mitch and I, Back at it, TJ Watt, Kevin King, we're going to get into it, we'll talk about that, and I'm sure a host of other things. All right, let's start with the Brewers though. So I think there might be some fans that are a little concerned with the Brewers, right? They've lost five straight games against St. Louis Cardinals. They have lost five of eight, or they're five and eight in their last 13 games. They haven't really played great baseball down the stretch here. Now, some people could look at that and say, well, the Milwaukee Brewers are limping into the postseason, that they are they are not necessarily the team that they've been all season, and maybe they are going to kind of flame out once October hits. I think for us Brewer fans, we are in sort of uncharted territory because the Brewers really were have never been in this situation before. The Brewers have never been in a situation where Basically, the last three to four weeks were meaningless. It was not a matter of if, but when the Brewers clinched the NL NL Central Division title. The Brewers got themselves out to a 14-game lead on September the 12th after just absolutely dominating the Cleveland Indians for three straight games. The Cleveland Indians had no answer for the Brewers, and the Brewers were able to push that lead all the way out to 14 games. So they, it was a wrap. Even though the St. Louis Cardinals were starting to get hot at that point, now they've won 17 straight, which is incredible, and one of the longest streaks in baseball. Like, you have to appreciate what the Cardinals have done, right? Like, I can't hate on that. The Cardinals clinched a playoff spot today. They went out and grabbed that playoff spot. And you have to give them a lot of credit for that. Like, they're... That to me is a very impressive thing for a sporting sport team, even a rival. When you go out and get it versus backing your way into it, it's like a golfer who has a chance to win with a birdie versus backing their way in because everybody choked behind him. They went through and got it. Like that, good for the Cardinals, right? But that to me is not something where I'm like, oh my God, the the Cardinals are so much better than the Brewers. They're not. Like We've broken down why this does not compare to 2011, even though it does feel a little similar. But at that point, remember, the Brewers were kind of neck and neck with the Cardinals come September. The Brewers had gave some games back. They did not necessarily have as good of a September in 2011, but the Cardinals were right on their ass. Remember, they needed Alfonso Soriano of the Chicago Cubs at that point to put one in the bleachers for the Brewers to clinch on September 25th, which was a couple days ago. They needed Soriano to come through or the Brewers could not clinch. And the Cardinals did have a little bit less of a cushion as what the Brewers have now. Right now, the Brewers are six games up. Now, are the Brewers going to lose 
every game going forward and it's going to actually look closer than it actually is between the Brewers and Cardinals? No, I don't think that's going to happen. I think that at some point the Cardinals are going to kind of pull the gas lever off. They have nothing really to play for the rest of the way. These Brewers and Cardinals games today and tomorrow are glorified spring training games. They shouldn't matter for either team. Both teams are kind of set in where they are with the playoffs. So all it is is about getting healthy. I would assume that the Cardinals want to keep winning baseball games. I assume the Cardinals want to kind of keep this dominance over the Milwaukee Brewers. But you have to understand that the Milwaukee Brewers right now are not that motivated. Even though the Milwaukee Brewers can say everything that they want. They can say all the things about how they want to win baseball games and how this is this is like it, it's not just get us to October. Unfortunately, their play kind of looks that way. So despite what the Brewers say, I kind of don't buy it. The Brewers were motivated this weekend to win baseball games because they were like, we don't want to necessarily be like, are we sure the Brewers are going to clinch at any point? Or do we have to deal with the St. Louis Cardinals in the last week? And they were able to just get it done against the New York Mets who are on pure vacation mode as they kind of petered off this season. So they were like, all right, let's just get it done against the Mets. We get it done against the Mets. Then this last week is a coast. And that's what how the Brewers are treating it. Brandon Woodruff pitched 63 pitches yesterday. Don't tell me that you don't want to win baseball games. You want to win baseball games and your ace pitcher is only going 63. I'm sorry, that is a glorified spring training game, which is okay. I have no problem with it. I'm not I'm not necessarily being critical. What I'm basically saying is like no one should be panicking. No one should be like, oh my god, this Brewers team like sucks now. This Brewers team should be should not be the favorites in the series against the Braves. Like they usually do series odds. I would assume the Brewers against the Braves are maybe minus 150, minus 140. I don't think there's any reason to be like, oh yeah, you should take the Braves in that series. The Braves have good pitching. Like Charlie Morton was good last night, but the Braves are still fighting. The Braves have to beat the Phillies to clinch the NL East. They beat the Phillies last night. It was a good win for them. They manufactured enough runs. Game was two to one. It was a very dramatic game between the Braves and the Phillies. Again, every moment matters in that game. Every moment matters for the Red Sox right now playing the Orioles who tripped on their dick. Every game matters for the Yankees and Blue Jays as the Yankees pulled away late and won that game. The Seattle Mariners are coming out of nowhere, hotter than a pistol, own the the Oakland Athletics, and they've won 11 straight against the Athletics, and they beat the Athletics again last night in in the late innings with Mitch Aniger, former Brewer way back when, uh, taking care of business. Even the Giants and Dodgers, even though they're locked into playoffs, they're still battling for who gets home field advantage throughout the playoffs. So every game for them is a sweat. Even though they're playing the lowly Diamondbacks and a, and a Padres team that, like the Mets, cannot get to Cancun soon enough. To bring it back to the Brewers, their games don't matter right now. They haven't mattered since that game against the Indians back in early in mid, mid-September. mid It was a foregone conclusion by then that the Brewers were going to win the division. That no one was going to creep in and take it from them. At that point, we were worried more about the Reds than we were the Cardinals. Now, the Cardinals get hot, and they're going to be a factor maybe in the postseason. But the Cardinals, as mentioned, could easily be out on Tuesday or Wednesday against the Los Angeles Dodgers or the San Francisco Giants. And then the Cardinals are an afterthought. The September winning streak's fun, but it meant absolutely fucking nothing. So we'll see if... 
the St. Louis Cardinals actually are a factor in this postseason or if it's just a cool story that the fans can talk about and, hey, we made the postseason, but we didn't really do anything with it. That remains to be seen. So right now the Brewers can just sit back, relax, and, yeah, get themselves ready, get themselves healthy. Because you're not telling me Brandon Woodruff would have been out at 63 63 pitches if he were in the situation of Seattle. If he was in the situation that New York, the Yankees are in. If he was in a situation the Red Sox were in. There is not any way Brandon Woodruff would have been pulled at 63 pitches. If it was an injury, maybe. But if not, not a thing. So there is no reason to be concerned about this Brewers team right now. They are just kind of going through the motions, unfortunately. Now, you can argue, if you wanted to be on the other side of this, you would say, well, Charlie, you can't just flip a switch. I think postseason baseball is a little different, and you pay so many games. It's not like the NFL, right? The NFL is one game, You maybe you rest your starters. But even then, I think it's common practice now in week, now it'll be week 17, or week 18, excuse me, to rest your guys in the last week of the season if you have nothing to play for. It's not necessarily something that is a newfound thing. They do it in ba- they do it in bas- basketball too. If the if the Bucks are locked into a spot, they're going to sit on us. They're not going to just put extra wear and tear on their players. So Bruce still have to play, but the motivation just isn't there. I'd ask that they play crisp. I know Avisel Garcia had a bad error yesterday that allowed the Cardinals to score their third run and ultimately push them ahead like Avi to me that's lackadaisical that to me is kind of inexcusable and if Avi is going to play that way then you should just rest for the rest of the week because that just can't happen that stuff I'm not okay with but what I'm not gonna wring my hands about is losing five straight to the Cardinals when the Brewers had nothing to play for in those five five games so the rest of the week is glorified spring training it was glorified spring training yesterday it's glorified spring training between these two teams. The Dodgers will have something to play for over the weekend, likely. But if they're like they're, the Giants have clinched the NL West, those games then become glorified spring training as well. So I'm not ready to throw a panic button. And if the Brewers do struggle in the postseason, maybe it's something worth talking about. But remember, this is the first time the Brewers have had to deal with this. In 2011, they were chasing the Cardinals down the stretch. It was a intense battle between those two teams and the Brewers finally got it done on the 25th and clinched and it wasn't exactly like we saw with the you know large lead and then the Brewers sort of backing their way in I wouldn't say they backed their way in but they didn't just go out and grab it against the St. Louis Cardinals so it wasn't like that and then in 2018 the Brewers were neck and neck with the Chicago Cubs until the finish line they needed a fucking one game playoff in Chicago to decide who is going to win the NL Central that year. So again, that that is not not the same. Like they went back and forth that entire year. 2019, the Brewers should have won the division and they blew it down the stretch and let the Cardinals kind of take over. That was bad. That was backing your way in. And then they lose to the Nationals. And who knows what would have happened with that Brewers team. The Cardinals end up losing in the NLCS that year to the Washington Nationals. They got swept. So that to me is a little different than what we have now. What we have now is a Brewers team who's already in. They know their spot. They know they have home field at least for one round. 
And they just are awaiting who are they playing in the AL East. So again, glorified spring training. I have no problem with what's happening with the Brewers right now. And they're going to be all right. Let's move on to talk a little bit about Tom Brady's return to Tampa. And you're like, Charlie, how is this a Wisconsin sports topic? Everybody's talking about this. Shut the fuck up. I get it. But you can't help but look look at the Tom Brady situation and not think about Brett Favre's return to Lambeau. And when that, when that was and what was that like and all the emotion that went into that. It's a lot different, right? Tom Brady left Tampa Bay on, I wouldn't say similar terms as Brett Favre, because Tom Brady still wanted to play football. The thing that I think people forget about Brett Favre is that Brett Favre retired. Brett Favre said I was done in March of 2008. Favre said, I am not playing for the Green Bay Packers. I'm retiring. It was very sad. I remember still writing. God, uh, I think I was writing. Was I writing Chuck's Corner back then? I was writing Chuck's Corner, and I had said, like, this is must what it's like when Michael Jordan retired, when Larry Bird retired. Like, that was how I felt. And I, I don't know if I could pull up that blog, but I remember almost crying as I'm writing this in the student union at the University of Wisconsin-Eau Claire and watching Favre step down as, a, as the Packers quarterback and then giving the reins to Aaron Rodgers, having so much unknown about who this Aaron Rodgers was. We drafted him in the first round, but he had barely played through three years. It broke his foot in one of the games that he had played, and he did look all right against the Cowboys the year prior, but again, they were still a little bit concerned of what Aaron Rodgers was. So then as the summer goes on and we get closer and closer to football, Brett Favre is starting to yearn for playing again. And Favre wants to come back. And the Packers basically are like, no, Aaron's our guy. Even though he basically tore apart a fan base, made fans choose, created a ton of vitriol between Ted Thompson and Brett Favre. And Favre was very masterful in the media, basically working the media like a speed bag to get the media on his side. The media was so pro-Favre nationally. Locally, I think it was more balanced, but nationally, it was so pro-Favre. There was the bizarre Greta Van Susteren interview with Fox News. And remember, at that time, Fox News was not the powder keg that I think it is today. Favre did an interview with Fox News basically outlining why he wanted to be a Packer and why he wanted to stay. And it was an embarrassing interview by Van Susteren, who threw him as many softballs as you would see in a college game between Oklahoma and Auburn. That's a terrible analogy. But seriously, it was such... Maybe a beer league softball would be a better... Let's redo that. Greta Van Susteren threw that guy so many softballs that it could have been a beer league game at Wick Park. Like, okay? Like, that to me was what she was doing. It was an embarrassment. She would be called out for it in today's media landscape. But back then, Twitter was barely a thing. No one was really using Twitter. So there wasn't really that conversation where we can be like, get Greta Van Susteren is a complete joke right now. None of us had that sort of capability. But that was what it was. And so everybody was on Favre's side. And the Packers stood tall. They apparently told Favre, we said in part of my take, that Favre wanted to get traded to Tampa Bay, coincidentally enough, and thought he was going to go to Tampa Bay. And then the Packers traded him to the Jets instead. Now, the reason they did that is because they didn't want Brett Favre inside the NFC. Favre wanted to get his revenge against the Packers. He was extremely pissed 
that Green Bay would move on from him, that he was Brett Favre. Forgetting that he retired and he had said, look, move on, go to Aaron. Like, I'm no longer wanting to play football. And then Favre was able to engineer his way to the Minnesota Vikings after one year with the New York Jets. Favre, Favre had then retired again, and then he went to the New York he went to the Minnesota Vikings for two years. And Favre wanted to stick it to the Green Bay Packers. And Brett Favre did in that first year. And the Lambeau trip was not as hyped up as this Brady thing. Well, it was hyped up, but they had already played once before. And it was on Monday Night Football. And Monday Night Football at that point still carried a lot of weight. So the Packers and Vikings was like a premier game. Like I can still remember how excited we were. I was living with six guys at the time for that game. And remember, the minute Favre was wearing the old school Vikings uniform and he dominated the Packers in that game and he was extremely impressive and a lot of the hype at that point was around the Minnesota Vikings and what the Minnesota Vikings could do. And then they played again a month later at Lambeau and that, again, had hype. It was Joe Buck, it was Troy Aikman, it was a 325 game and the Vikings absolutely killed the Packers. They were up 24-3 to they, the game gets a lot closer, and it's a lot closer than it was. But Favre kind of used that fuel, used that fire. Now, I don't think if you compare it to what we have with the Patriots and Buccaneers, Buccaneers, Patriots, excuse me, have not played really well the last few weeks, but they have a coach in Bill Belichick that is an all-time chip guy, that's an all-time grudge guy. And I just think Bill Belichick will not allow for the Patriots to get blown out in this game. I think everybody's going to be on the Buccaneers minus five. I actually will be on the Patriots. I think this, is, to me, is a game where Belichick is going to flex his muscles. He's going to puff his chest out. And also, and I don't know if the Patriots are going to win. I wouldn't pick them outright. But I just think this might be a field goal game because I, I, think, I think Belichick's going to do a ton of things to frustrate Tom Brady in that game. That it's some stuff that we just have not seen. I'm a little concerned about Mac Jones against that, that Buccaneers defense, but I'd argue maybe the Buccaneers secondary is the worst that Mac Jones has faced in the first th- first four weeks. The, going back to Favre, like, there is just a difference because the coaching matchup is not that. Mike McCarthy was a young coach at that time. At that time, I think we all really liked Mike McCarthy. Now, as the years went on, that ro- the, the buds on the rose sort of fell off, like the flowers we're not necessarily there. I fucked up that that uh, phrase, but that's okay. We can forget that. At that point, we all really liked Mike McCarthy. At, at that point, we thought Mike McCarthy was still a good coach, but he wasn't like a defensive mastermind against Brett Favre. But that Mike McCarthy offensive guy, so it was offense mano a mano, and the Vikings defense at that point was very very good. I mean, that Vikings team was excellent. They lose to a Bounty Gate New Orleans Saints team, and that's why they don't get to the Super Bowl and have our worst nightmare, which would have been Colts, Colts Vikings. Far versus Peyton Manning would have been a huge Super Bowl. The Vikings had a chance to be legendary, and if Far wins a Super Bowl with the Vikings, I think it changes so much of the landscape of even that next season when the Packers then move on to win a Super Bowl. Far retires. We don't have. You know, Favre coming back to Lambeau a second time and losing. Like, people forget that. Like, people will talk about this Favre game, but people forget that Favre came back that next year and lost at Lambeau. And he did not play well in that game. 
and the Packers were able to be successful and they had a lead they had a pretty dominant lead like they were up 28 to 17 at one point in that game Vikings come back they had touchdown from Favre to Randy Moss fulfilling a prophecy of him and Randy Moss playing together but then they couldn't get it done late as Favre almost hit Vasante Shanko in the back of the end zone he missed him by like inches from Vasante Shanko coming down but the Packers played well in that game and they did not get off to a great start that season. They're now four and three. And it's like, okay, maybe this is something. And then Green Bay starts to get hot. And that, that was kind of the start of a winning streak for the Packers, who were three and three. I think they had lost two straight games to Washington and Miami. And people were kind of unsure. There was a lot of frustration about McCarthy, Thompson, even a little bit of Rodgers. And then the Packers go on an absolute tear. And in that time when they go on that tear, they get Brad Childress fired because they blow out the Vikings in the Metrodome 31-3. to And that, to me, was the start of Aaron Rodgers, the superhuman, and Aaron Rodgers being the guy. And when that happened, I think everybody looked at it and said, okay, this is a little different. And the Packers got the last laugh. Because they won a Super Bowl the year after. Now, if Tampa Bay wins another Super Bowl this year, which I don't, right now I would not say Tampa Bay to me is the number one Super Bowl contender. Tom Brady has the last laugh no matter what the Patriots do the following year. But this feels very similar to the 2009 Packers. Patriots at this point right now do not look like a playoff team, but in weeks to go, could they? Yeah, sure. I think that Brady and Rodgers both have talked about how the leap from college to pro is a lot bigger than people think it is. And that's why a lot of people are struggling is because these schemes are not necessarily built for guys to make decisions. And that's why you're seeing Trevor Lawrence struggle. It's why you're seeing Zach Wilson struggle. It's why Justin Fields was an absolute wreck. And Bears fans can say, well, it was the pressure, it was the pressure, and it was Matt Nagy's system. I think it was a combination of all three. Like, I, I just think Justin Fields wasn't ready, and I hate to say it, but Matt Nagy, I think, was right. I know Bears fans will get pissed hearing me say that, but I think Matt Nagy was right. And so that, to me, is like, I don't think we can look at this and say it's exactly the same, because Rodgers had had time under, under Favre and everything like that. Did Bill Belichick make a mistake? Perhaps, but I, I think these guys were over each other. I think these guys just did not like each other and did not want to play with each other. And it was time to move on. And sometimes that just happens in sports, that we have to move on. And it's very rare. And Tom Brady is one of one where you go to that next team and you thrive. Joe Montana did not have that. Michael Jordan did not have that. Joe Namath. Did not have that. Johnny Unitas did not have that. There are Emmett Smith. There are so many names of guys who left their established team and had great success. Favre kind of had it. Favre had one good year and then it fell apart. If that was what if that was Brady's trajectory where he had one good year and it fell apart, okay. But Tom Brady is superhuman. He's still doing this, and he, he's incredible. And uh, the, every other guy that's in his sort of quote-unquote class is either retired 
or at the end of their rope. Shout out to Ben Roethlisberger. Brady is one of one. I don't think Belichick made the wrong decision. I think if I was a Patriots fan, I would be annoyed at it. And I'd be like, well, Bill screwed this up. I think if anything, it's exposed that Josh McDaniels might not be a good coach. And Josh McDaniels rode Brady's coattails more than anybody else. That, to me, is the biggest thing that I've noticed so far. But maybe Mac Jones isn't ready. And maybe they don't have the talent. I don't know. But you paid all this money for these tight ends and they haven't done anything. So I don't know. That's just my hot take of more of an NFL thing than a Wisconsin sports thing. To wrap up the show, we are going to talk about the Green Bay Packer offense against the Steeler defense. We're not going to do anything on TJ Watt, Kevin King. That's tomorrow. Look forward to that. But what we're going to talk about is the Packers going against a good Steelers defense, whether TJ Watt's playing or not. We don't know. As I said earlier this week, I think TJ Watt will try like hell to play. I do think there's a little bit of a lost luster if TJ Watt doesn't play. Obviously, that's a huge boost to the Packers if TJ Watt isn't out there. Uh, The Bengals were able to put up 24 points against that Steelers defense, and the Bengals struggled to even get a touchdown against the Chicago Bears defense, who's, I think, a little similar, maybe a little bit worse than what the Steelers are, but they they got nothing against that that Bears team until the very end of the game. And then they were able to get a couple of garbage time touchdowns. So the fact that they were able to move the ball without TJ Watt out there said a lot. And they are banged up. They don't have Steven Tewitt. They don't have Tyson Alulu. So they, their front seven is not that dominant front seven that A started the year or B that we saw last season. But they do have a good secondary. I think it's better than, than what we saw with the 49ers with guys like Joe Hayden, Minka Fitzpatrick, uh, Cameron Sutton, like they they have guys, like they have dudes, okay? This is not a team where I look at it and say they don't really have a secondary. But they did get torn up by Jamar Chase and Tyler Boyd last weekend with the with the Bengals. Like the Bengals did tear them up. So I don't know. Maybe if they don't have the pass rush that they're accustomed to, maybe they're not able to play sort of on that island. I would imagine we have not heard yet the Elton Jenkins, whether he'll play or not, but I can imagine if there is no Elton Jenkins and it's Josh Neiman again, it's Josh, is it Josh Neiman? I think it's Josh. But anyways, they're going to they're going to use that quick draw offense again. Aaron Rodgers got out the ball super quick yesterday. Aaron Rodgers got out the ball very, very quick. And when Aaron Rodgers gets out the ball quick, that helps the Green Bay Packers. And that was how the Green Bay Packers we're able to keep that Niner pass rush at bay. And so even if you have TJ Watt not playing and there is a pass rush, I would imagine Green Bay brings back this quick draw offense because A, it was successful. The Green Bay Packers really weren't stopped doing it. The only times the Green Bay Packers stalled out on offense is when they went away from the run and they were throwing deep balls. As long as Brett, as Brett, I almost call him Brett Favre. As long as Aaron Rodgers is not throwing rocket balls, not throw, overthrowing his guys like he seems to do at least three to five times a game, the Green Bay Packers' offense is basically unstoppable. And I think they're better than the Steelers' defense. Even though the Steelers' defense is renowned and one of the best in football, I think right now the Packers are getting the Steelers at the perfect time. I said that yesterday about the Packers' defense against the Steelers' offense. I think the same is for this defense. I think the Packers playing the Niners last last week, which is really a similar defense. I wouldn't say it's exactly the same, 
but it, it has a similar vibe. It has a similar aggressive nature. It has a good front seven. Like it's it's just rinse and repeat. And I think when you have that, it can make life a little easier on you because you're not necessarily changing too much. Install is not going to be, we're going to do stuff completely different. And they already had one week of practice and one game without Elton Jenkins. If they have another game without Elton Jenkins, they've been there. They know what this is like. It's going to be at home. So they're going to have not necessarily the loud, rowdy fan base in their fucking ear about this. And so then I think it's more it'll be more hard to, to go from playing the Steelers and the Niners to then the Bengals and the Bears the next few weeks. Now, Bengals defense has looked okay throughout the first few weeks. They have a little bit of a pass rush too. So maybe maybe I'm disve- I'm not crediting the Bengals enough and need to give the Bengals a little more shine. But the Packers have an offense that I think is a great alternative to their usual one to just get the ball downfield and get it down quickly. So I am not worried at all about the Niner defense. I really am not. I, I There are guys on there, Devin Bush, Fitzpatrick, as mentioned, uh, Joe Hayden too, uh, and if TJ Watt plays, TJ Watt. But I don't think it's a defense that should strike fear of God at this point. Yes, they were good against Buffalo, but they had all summer to prepare for that Buffalo offense. I think that was more of an indication of that than anything else. And then they didn't really play well against a a Vegas team that I think, again, Packers better offense than Vegas. Then they didn't play well again against Bengals now without C.J. Watt. Again, the Packers are a better team. Now, you, you don't always want to do the transitive property because sometimes that that can lead you to a bad place. But this is the best offense that the Pittsburgh Steelers defense will face. And one that they only have a week to prepare for versus an entire summer. So my confidence in this game is sky high. And it has been sky high since the start of the week. Because I just feel like we're getting the Steelers at the perfect time. And maybe the Pittsburgh Steelers in late November or early December are going to look a lot different. But right now the Packers are getting a Steelers team that's in flux. And you could never feel better about that. It's the first Sunday at Lambeau, full fans in over two two years. You're gonna have a Milwaukee crowd, which I don't think is that big of a deal. I might I might want to talk with Mitch about that a little bit. And I think it's just gonna be a really nice nice afternoon for the Packers. And hopefully, there's no Saints vibes. Because last time I felt this confident, we got beat 38-3. to So I'm, I'm a little bit more reserved. I'm not like bet the house on the Green Bay Packers. I will, I'll tell you right now, a little preview of the betting preview on, on Friday. I do love the Packers in this game. But I'm not going to be as up front and be like, oh my God, just dump your mortgage on it. Because last time I did that, we got our asses handed to us by the Saints. So <laughs> not avoid that same mistake. All right, that does it for our show. Uh, we will be back tomorrow with Mitch uh, tapping the keg. Like I said, we're going to do Watt and King. Talk a little bit about Brewers postseason roster, who should stay, who should go. Um, we'll also, I'm sure, get into a little bit of the Bucks, where we are, what we are watching here in the postseason, preseason. Is there anything that needs to be ironed out before we get started against Brooklyn to start the year? Should Milwaukee come up with their own vaccine mandate so Kyrie Irving can't play on the 19th? I don't think Milwaukee or the state will do that. But and that's a joke, and I hope they don't do that. 
Um, be, and so we'll we'll talk about all that um, because I know Mitch probably is chopping at the bit to talk a little Bucks basketball. Uh, that's his thing. Uh, so we'll, we'll at least do a little intro on on the Milwaukee Bucks. All right, take care of yourself. Have a great great Wednesday. Back tomorrow. Then betting preview on Friday. All right, see you guys. Bye.